Lord's blessing. Dear Lord God, we are grateful for your son, his teaching, his life, his sacrifice, his resurrection, and his rule. We ask that you would establish him more in our lives. In your son's name, amen. We're in Matthew chapter 7, the end of the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it's a bunch of, you know, like the Sermon on the Mount seems to be, vignettes of teaching. So I don't want to say that the vignettes of teaching must be understood together, but at least as we look at them, we get an impression of what our Lord wanted us to be about, wanted us to be like. Every so often it's good for us to take inventory of what we're trying to shape in our lives. And some of these verses we hear so much that we um, sort of negate them because we hear them too much, or we have ready interpretations for them that when you go back and look at the passage, it doesn't quite suggest the same thing. I found that during sermon prep, I'll, I'll stand in the library and I'll read the passage to myself out loud. Because sometimes just hearing the passage come into my ear is different than it coming into my eyes. Sometimes you just don't recognize what you skimmed over visually, but you couldn't skim over orally. Now you've heard this before, Matthew 7, 1, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Now, you know that that's the standard. When, you, when you're a non-Christian, they send you to a school, I believe it's in Kansas. Uh, it's the non-Christian school of hard questions. And you go there and you learn a couple of verses. Judge not that you be not judged is one of the ones you learn. It's the, the catechism of the non-believer. To tell Christians, hey, you shouldn't be talking about my sin. Now, so we know what we're always, as you know, churches or societies of Christians, and you've got some friend who falls into sin, and and you're looking around for what do you do about it? You're looking for a good book on justice. You know, how does the Christian approach uh, law and order for the body of Christ? we can, have, we can have a lot of theological or ecclesiological discussions that, uh, that try to parse out how the Christian responds to sin and others. Just a second while I close the door again. I can hear the basement. In a hundred years, we're going to have a, a little boy in a gown do that. <laughs> The, the door closer. At a certain point in the sermon, you'll carry a candle probably over there and shut the door. And you'll cross yourselves. It'll be so important. But sometimes when, not that you can't make a study of those sorts of things that you're looking at here, uh, you might say, that the equity that you are going to give in judgment holds yourself as the measure of uh, judgment uh, recipient, as the 
the limiter that you don't put on anyone else what you wouldn't put on yourself. You'll be judged with the same strictness by which you judge. But in some way, in some way, verse 3, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, what I, as I was looking at this, my eye went to the things that I bolded. Why do you see? How can you say? We get almost immediately interested in chasing down sin in others. It's a little less interesting to be immediately interested in chasing down sin in yourself, but it's almost recreational to chase it down in others. In some ways, that's why we're tempted to gossip, or that's why we're tempted to become intolerant to people that, that need the message of repentance. Why do you see them that way? Why did you, when you say, is it righteousness that I'm, reason I'm seeing other people's unrighteousness? Or is it me versus them? Because if I don't see my own sin, if I don't, the warning of judge not that you be not judged, for the same judgment that by which you judge, you will be judged. If I, if I have that in my mind, I'm going to be constantly aware that God is more concerned that you get yourself fixed. My father always told me that by the time you get the cantilever light pole out of your own eye, uh, the phrase, then you will see clearly. Oddly enough, sometimes our measure of other people's sins, and believe me, they do sin. We're not, we're not dodging that. They're in sin. The Almighty God is going to judge them. They should be repenting of their sin. We're talking about our involvement. Why do I see? Why do I say? And is my measure of holiness adequate to see clearly? Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. My father always said, you're going to find there's no speck in your brother's eye. Once you remove the light pole in your own, you know, you were probably hallucinating about his sin. It's less about, the passage is less, obviously, less about what judgments we could make about somebody and say you could even make accurate ones. <clears throat> what if your church had a, a system by which charges could be brought and uh, attorneys could be appointed and a real defense uh, given where you knew that the, just like in a court of law you could prove the right or the wrong and the Lord is more concerned that people not have societies that have systems the world needs systems to determine judgment and righteousness and good and bad the church has the Holy Spirit in each one of us um, is about you. You have this immediate and a major concern that I've got a lot to cover. When it says in Galatians, we covered this a few weeks ago in, in Galatians 6, 
Um, if any brother is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore them. And I was suggesting that maybe this is, like this one, more a concern of making sure that each one of us ride ourselves the hardest. That we gauge ourselves, that we wake up in the morning and going, am I being faithful? That our clarity of sight first has to be, because no matter what, no matter, I might not be clear in how I see other people. There's a, there's a gap between myself and another that I'm not sure about their motivations. Believe me, if I, if I heard their justifications, I might, I might excuse them. But with ourselves, we at least have all the information. Then he says, do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before swine. It, it's amazing, there are a lot of cliches in this. You know, we've got judge not, amazing. pearls before swine. Isn't there a cartoon strip called Pearls Before Swine? The little animals. Do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. We have a new system of this called Facebook, where you think you're sharing a pearl, and you find the swine have rushed upon you in the comments section and delivered you of, in no uncertain terms, uh, a judgment. Now what's it saying to you? I, I want you to pick up what the Lord, even in vignette terms, what the Lord is suggesting your structure should be. One, about your own holiness, about your own business. Why do you see, why do you say, why don't you look, why don't you fix? Your own clarity of vision depends on you fixing yourself. And sec secondarily, the wonder that is your Christian life, the holiness, you might want to keep to yourself. Ever think of that? Some things... We are so driven to evangelism. We're so driven to winning the lost that we have all sorts of theories about winning the lost. Um, if, and we can't imagine being quieter. We the church is already too quiet. So some parts of the church are after the world and try to raise the, the sin stakes where they're pointing out the speck in their eyes or the, or the uh, logs. Uh, other people are trying to prove the holiness. But there's an adage that uh, I came up with uh, regarding uh, uh, mannered behavior for gentlemen. The, a gentleman is modest. And by modest I mean he will live by his merits, not by, the, by their advertisement. And it's true for Christians too that we don't, we ought not be living our Christian life by the advertisement of the Christian life. We're not here to where, I look around to see if there's any graphic tees here that are explicitly Christian, you know. Um, something edgy with a cross, or a punisher skull, or something that says something about faith and strength, and you know, some of you own them and I'm sorry. And, I'm, and I don't doubt your belief in the, in the thing that it, that's on the shirt. 
But watch out that the, the, some of the great things that you walk in, the grace you walk in in Christ, the sense that you have looking out your eyes clearly at a world God has made that you can praise him for, you don't have to necessarily convince somebody else of what you're saying. How you're enjoying the things of God. Remember, there are swine out there. There are dogs out there. They will not respect what you say. So the Lord suggests you don't share it with them. Ever look at that and go, don't give the holy things to the dogs. Don't be, remember that your primary relationship with Jesus Christ is the holiness that he is making in you. So why don't you check your own eye for objects? Why don't you be looking for that which will give you a clearer vision? You say, is it wrong for people to see the wonder of the Christian? No, no. But sometimes when people are jumping to the moral answer or the the wonder answer, the, the, the holiness thing, they, they, uh, they leave actual righteousness behind. They, they begin to represent righteousness. They have signs that say the Ten Commandments, not lives that say the Ten Commandments. So to live by your merit, not by its advertisement. Another cliche, verse 7, ask, and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Simple. That's how things work. It's almost like drop it, it will fall. If you ask, you get. Or what man of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him. Now, I want you to sort of be sort of ticking off, uh, you might say, directions to go with your life. Just helpful background, subconscious ways of thinking that I need to be holy before I start to engage the world about their lack of holiness. Let God make you good. Let God make you holy. Recognize that your encounter with God in many ways is for you. It's not always an only exciting, if everybody else can know it happened. It's also something that we pursue. We ask, we seek, we knock we find out that we find out that uh, we get what we look for. I mean, that's what looking produces. You get what you look for, but as you start to add these things up, you probably can create a church that would have programs that would do this for you or arrange to follow this passage. They would even title the group Ask, seek, knock. Maybe there'd be a band named Ask, Seek, Knock. So that when you go to Ask, Seek, Knock, how was that spell? A-S-K. Ask. We got something here. We'll be famous now. 
Yeah, we have a ministry. It's called Ask. You know, ask, seek, knock. Oh, you guys. It's, it, it, the money's got to roll in. <laughs> got to write the dang book. Well, that's what we do. Instead of asking, seeking, and knocking, we run around declaring it, advertising it, making a brochure for it, getting the graphic tee that says it on it. The Lord wants you to actually ask, seek, knock, so that you'll find out how good your God is, because even evil men give their son a lollipop when he asks. You'll find out your God is good. And then in verse 12, it gives the golden rule. So whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them. For by this is the law and the prophets. For this is the law and the prophets. Do as you would be done by. The attention in this passage is really personal. And so consequently, one of the things we don't have at this church, as you know, are programs. Uh, we can't afford it. We don't have any staff. We don't like them. Except for Ask, Seek, Knock. Now, what, what are we trying to do? What, somebody was asking me about our church and, and the giving and why we don't pass a plate and what happens when we don't have enough money. And we just, I said, I would just tell you. <laughs> and you do something about it. But um, we're so oriented, interested in having Christians, whatever your doctrine, where you come from, whether you're Lutheran, Reformed, Calvinistic, uh, Charismatic, Baptist, you know, whatever it is, independent, that you would be coming more like the Lord Jesus Christ in you. Because people that are gathered together who are like the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of our theology, and we will disagree, but we'll get along far better. Things will be done. People will give cheerfully. Things will get accomplished. That floor is getting better and better in the basement. And if anybody wants to spare the time to come in with a glue stick and glue all those hymns into those hymnals, let me know. The church might pop for the glue sticks. Maybe. We want you to be producing not a, the corporate thing producing so that we'll be known as a seeker church. You've heard of seeker-friendly churches, right? People who are looking. Yeah, most people in seeker-friendly churches aren't actually seeking. They want to not be bothered with seeking. But you notice here in the golden rule, that the, the, which is the big ethical moment that Jesus shovels onto his followers, do unto others as you would be done by. It says, remember, this is about you measuring you correctly. You measuring your own wants correctly. You know what kind of grace you would like to get. So what kind of understanding when you sinned you would like to have the believers go, I'm glad you repented. 
Let's rejoice in the one sinner that has been returned, the 99 who never walked away. You want to have the kind of measure in your life. The clearer you have you worked out, the clearer you know your vision is because you've got the light pole out of your eye. The more you have asked, the more you have sought, the more you have knocked, what you have unearthed from God, what that made you to be, is the guide to you fulfilling everything God wants. Because that's what we're, we're talking about here. What does God want of you? And how does he want it? And we can be sidetracked by all sorts of ministry arrangements or PR designs that would speak directly to these concepts and miss it altogether. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those that find it are few. So, here we go. We've just been sort of given the ration to those people who want to have, you know, we're going to have an exciting ministry. There are going to be signs and wonders. There's going to be holy things trotted out in front of pigs. There's going to be, you know, professional asking. We got askers here. We got, we got answerers here. Make the searching for the truth of God easy to arrive. You say, ah, that's the kind of church that God doesn't want because that's the kind of church that is broad and easy and many, right? So let's arrange one that is narrow and hard. And you know some churches like that. You know some people like that that want to say, well, narrow and hard and few. We got that going for us. We got few Let's just make it narrower and harderer. People who think that rigor is the thing. St. Paul talks about that. Those who promote rigor of devotion, self-abasement, severity to the body, who have the appearance of wisdom but have no value in regarding the desires of the flesh. We know that that's not how it is. But we have to watch out for this. And here is the Lord... He's thrown some things out there that we could even twist on the vine itself and turn a judge-not passage into a way where we're starting to arrange how we're going to do the judging. Or how we're going to get the things that are holy, the pearls in front of the swine. How we're going to design a church that's about seeking. Now, this is a message to you. You're sitting on the side of a hill... Jesus Christ is talking to you and saying, you might want to consider asking because you'll find of God that he is good and your goodness, you measuring you, you finding out who you are is going to be the measure of all, how you fulfill the law and the prophets. And realize that you're going to be lonely. Loneliness is not, does not mean you're holy, but believe me, Few people look for this. Few people stop and say, correct me first, O Lord. What are my sins? What do I have to confess? What do I have to learn how to honor first in holiness in my own life? I know it's going to be that way, but that doesn't mean that the uptight group is the group to follow. 
Because he says then in verse 15, beware of false prophets. We were talking to Robin last week, two weeks ago, sometime, about people who get caught up in false, under false teaching. One of the key things that we, we looked at, or we were talking about, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. You've heard that cliche too, right? There was a song back in the Jesus people days, you'll know they are Christians by our love. Doug rewrote it. Uh, You'll know we are Christians by the things we don't do. You'll know we are Christians by our rules. It was pretty funny at the time. You will know them by their fruits. Because every one of these things, believe me, will we'll come out of the mouth of some teacher who is winsome, enjoyable to listen to, has a slight English accent, which is really charming. Inwardly ravenous wolves. And the Lord says, you know, if you're going to be looking at a narrow, hard, difficult thing to pursue... If you're looking for a holiness, if you're looking for correcting you, don't be led astray by anything that doesn't produce the right righteousness. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? So every sound tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears evil fruit. A sound tree cannot bear evil fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. (coughs) Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will know them by their fruits. People think that the scholasticism or the holiness of the building or the um, excitement or uh, the charm of the teacher is worth looking away when you find out that they're wicked. That they're using their power, they're using their pastorate for money, they're using their pastorate for power, other um, excitements that they have access to, and people still follow them when it comes out in the news. The Lord said, you've got to be concerned about holiness, you've got to be concerned about those who would teach you in those things, because you... You've got something you're responsible for. Your righteousness before God. And if you're listening to somebody that is not following Jesus Christ, but sounds like he is, has all of the right phrasings. Well, look at this. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. So not only are they interesting, slight English accent, great programs that would lead us to the Ask Ministry. I really want credit for that if you repeat it. Okay? I don't, don't intend to do anything about it, but I want credit. So some people, just like some people invent the narrow way to avoid the easy way. Oh, you big churches, boy, easy. We're going to be tough. We're going to be small. 
And some people say, oh, you guys are, are not even concerned about doctrine. See, this is the orthodox way. Lord, Lord. And they're going to come to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, Lord. And she says, you're not going to get in here. You shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's not who professes orthodoxy. We could have a little printout that says, you know, this is Christian belief. And you go, I agree. Well, that's not the point. The point of Christian belief is to make you righteous. Not so that enough people would be on that team. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? Orthodoxy? Magic? What if you came to this church? This, again, we're talking about not examining other churches, not pulling specks out of other churches' eyes, pulling it out of our own eye. What if you came to this church? This is not happening here, I hope. And we had out there on the bulletin board, this we believe. And it was, you read it, and it was, that's what I believe. That's what the Bible says, it's so good. And then you walk in, and I'm floating six inches off the deck. People being healed of their head colds. I'm not asking for too much. People being raised from the dead. Mighty works. We would just go, what? I mean, this has got to be right, right, Warren? And God's saying, I'm going to interview people on the last day who have that on their resume. We're going to have the truth of their doctrine. Lord, Lord, they're into Jesus. Two, they were doing the magic. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evil doers. Because for Jesus Christ, everyone then who hears then, he knows that in red, Jesus didn't put that in red, but I did, that everyone then, because of this, because of this circumstance, who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So it comes down to it is even sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ. Remember Judas Iscariot sat at the feet of Jesus Christ. coming up with the right conclusions. Lord, Lord. He says, no, no. Hard Christianity where you give up a lot. No, no. It's whether your encounter with God, you have found a God, you asked, you sought, you knocked, you found a God who would be benevolent to you, good to you, to produce, teach you 
righteousness so that you would be holy. And the wonder of that, the wonder of that is for you. The benefit of that is for you. Yes, you will be able to have effect in other people's lives, your, your spouse, your kids, your, your friends, your fellow congregants in a church. Yes, but the righteousness has to be found first. And what's key here, for me anyway, when it talks about asking, seeking, who was it? I think Peter Escalante was over the other day. And something came up and Leslie was looking it up on her tablet and he remembered, Peter was going, I remember having to go to the library. Back in the day, you needed to look something up. You had to go to the library. Those are the good old days. There's not have any problem with digital, but you don't know if you value something so much. It's too easy to get at everything. But this, it's narrow, you know, and hard, and those that find it are few. And so asking, seeking, knocking along this line is a, you're having to ask yourself this morning, is do I value this kind of Christianity? That which I'll be somewhat lonely in. That which is not going to be encouraged by all sorts of fanfare and excitement because we're constantly throwing the pearls before swine or constantly enraged in battle against the ungodly because we're trying to prove them wicked? Are you finding the words of Christ and doing them? Are you thanking God because your life is made secure because of how you've built your house? The wisdom, the godliness that which you built your house with means that the calamity doesn't touch it. When it says it fell when you didn't, and then it says, and great was the fall of it. Think of all, go back over the passage if you have a chance, and look at all the ways that we could misuse, turn the passages into something that the church would like to do that wouldn't produce what Christ wants. The end result is for all teaching, for all good, you have to find the actual good, the actual way of viewing the world that is Jesus Christ in you. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And I want you to hear these sorts of, even if you broke it apart into the vignettes and looked at each thing differently, even if you did. Um, are you astonished by what you have been given the privilege to say? You've been given the privilege to have sought Jesus Christ and found him and asked him for the salvation that he offers and received it. Um, you've encountered things that are really wonderful and holy that he seems to want you to not keep to yourself entirely, but realize it's in you. That sometimes broadcasting it is not the thing to do, but just wonder, just be astonished. Marvel at him. 
And then you begin to realize that following him is worth everything in your life. It's the field with the treasure buried in it. It's the pearl of great price. It's, it's your valuation of goodness. If you're going to pursue Jesus Christ in the way that he wants to be pursued, it's a proof of you. That's what we're looking for. Logs out of your own eye. Proof of you. Where's your heart? Loving others as you would be loved. Proof of you. We realize that when he says here in Matthew 11, a few chapters later, hit the last verse on the left-hand side. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah, but finding it, looking for it, deciding to value it, wanting to think of a religion that way. It would be nice to be in a, you know, as we get together and grow in grace together, getting together each week with better and better people. That we'd be more loving because we're going, I know how I would like to be treated. I know how I would like to be welcomed. The hospitality for me, the giving to me, whatever it is. You've got a Lord that you're in pursuit of. He has astonishing goodness. And we need to check to see if we value it. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Thank you for your the ministry of your death, as we remember that this morning in, the, in communion. But we'd ask that you would be leading us into the greater holiness that your Son directs us to. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.